Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina radio show, sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Buck and Jason, we're doing this on a Sunday morning. We, we haven't done these many times early Sunday morning, so it's a brisk day. Um, I'm wide awake. I hope you guys are. Buck, I'll start with you. Um, going to Charlottesville has been a pretty uh, fun place for the Tar Heels the last eight years. Not so much on Saturday. Virginia wins 31-21 in a game that uh, probably a little easier than the score might have predicted for Virginia. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I would say that the outcome and the way the game played out was just predictable. I mean, I didn't see anything about that game, which is, if you think about it, sad in many ways, um, that, you know, made me think, wow, something strange happened in this game. I mean, uh Counting the, the Charlottesville game, <clears throat> uh, North Carolina is averaging scoring 23 points a game. They scored 21 against uh, Virginia. Um, again, our opponents are averaging uh, 34 points a game. I mean, this game was pretty much, if you look at the, the stats, the scores, and how it played out, um, this was just a microcosm of every other game they played this year. Um, you know, the, the inability to get turnovers, especially to get points off turnovers, North Carolina's getting like 1.2 points per game from points off turnovers. Uh, UNC's opponents are getting almost 10 points a game from turnovers, nine and a half. And you go on down the line. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, in some ways, um, just monotonous football that's hard to watch because it's so predictable. And so that that's where I would start out uh, with the just a crushing predictability of the outcome and the score and everything else about the game. I 100% agree with that, Jason. Looking at it, um, and I want to kind of talk about this a little more, but I think it's probably a pretty simple explanation. Carolina looked great or, you know, very good on three drives. And on the other however many drives, they looked absolutely atrocious. Help me understand that, A, in simple terms, and then, B, we can dig in it a little more um, because it, it certainly highlights some deficiencies, to put it mildly. But your thoughts there, 21 points on three drives, zip on the rest of the ball game. It's like Buck said, it, it's pretty predictable in the explanation, I think. Yeah, I mean, get behind the sticks without a quarterback, and it's over. And Elliott, when he was in front of the sticks and was able to throw, when Carolina was able to throw when they wanted to throw, and was able to, especially early, was able to uh, to to put a few things together that that they obviously had had prepped, knowing that 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 some things were there. Uh, then 
they were able to they were able to take advantage of those things. And then once once you get out of that, and once you get to the point of of uh, Virginia having adjusted defensively, once you get to the place where you're not you're not uh, ahead of the sticks, then things bog down again. And the other thing is, it's hard to be consistent when your pass offense basically depends on. All right, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw uh, off an off balance throw downfield and just pray that 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 my wide receiver is good enough to beat the defensive back on a contested catch. That's really hard to be consistent. So you get a couple of those that work and you score, but the rest of them, it's not going to, you're not going to throw yourself down the field that way. Not without, you know, not without Megatron. It ain't happening. So, I mean, again, I think it comes straight back to what we've talked about pretty much all season. But when we, we're talking off the air. We looked at it, and like Jason said, they get behind the sticks, and they're done. Um, it's got it's it's the quarterback. It's got to be on the quarterback. I watch other teams, um, specifically uh, Bryce Perkins with Virginia, and I think that position, those two positions, highlight um, quarterback for Virginia, quarterback for Carolina, highlight the issues that North Carolina has, and and why so many fans are just up in arms about giving, you know, at this point, Ruder a chance. But have you seen a team that's more reliant on being above the sticks? And I don't – I can't remember that being the case. Even in bad uh, Bunning teams, bad Torbush teams, bad any Carolina teams, I can't remember it being so directly tied to if it's first and 15, it's over. And, and that is, to your earlier point, so predictable this season, so predictable this ball game. Yeah, and it's it's even worse than that, Tommy, in the sense that you're talking about not remembering how it being this bad in the Bunning or the Torbush era. And it's it's exacerbated. The feeling is is highlighted by the fact that going back to to 2016 or in even 2015, but especially 2016, I think um, there was never hardly a time when uh, North Carolina was in any third down situation, third and seven, third and eight um, that, you know, I, before the play, I thought to myself, well, it's over, you know, they're, they'll never convert this may as well punt the ball on third down. Um, because uh, you you think back to Mitch Trubisky and say the Pittsburgh game, uh, I I can't remember how many third and tens he converted on the last few drives of that game or, or even longer. And you, you think to yourself, um, comparing that recent type of offense at UNC to what we have now. It's a complete 180, right? I mean, uh, if North Carolina has a third and seven or a third and six, you know, how much confidence do you have that North Carolina is going to be able to convert that play? Um, I can't speak for everyone, but I have zero pretty much. And when they do, if it happens, um, I'm shocked. And conversely, you know, in 2016, just a couple of years ago, 
if it was third and eight and they didn't convert, I was surprised. So it, it really is some, there's some shock value there going from what UNC was on offense uh, to what they are now. Um, so, yeah, um, I think it's being behind the chains. Fedora talked about it in his, in his press conference. He didn't exactly put it in those terms. He was a little more technical. He talked about first and second down efficiency. And, of course, we've talked about that a time or two. But what what efficiency is on first down is, is you kind of want to get half the yards you're going to need for first down. You want to get four or five yards. People, you know, land in different spots, exactly what's an efficient first down. And then on second down, you want something around uh, 70% of the yards you need for a first down, whatever that happens to be. So you're, if you've been efficient on first and second down, you've got a third and two or a third and three. And when you do that, everything in the playbook opens up. You can throw a slant. You know, you can throw a, you know, a, a uh, wheel route to your – uh, back coming out of the backfield and teams have to defend that. But if it's third and eight or third and 10, they just have to defend it to sticks. You know, they can, you know, park their corners at the sticks. And if you throw underneath them, they make the tackle. You don't have a first down. So it just eliminates about, you know, half the playbook <laughs> when, when Jason's laughing, I'll let, I'll stop and now let him chime in. Because I know he's got the exact same thoughts about that. Uh, well, there's not much more for me to say. I mean, it's you, you literally, it's, I don't even know that you have, it's half the playbook. You're, you're eliminating like three quarters of your past playbook, at least. There's just, you can't run it. There you go. That's, that's our explanation, Tommy. <laughs> you can't run it. Yeah. It's just, uh, like you said, but predictable and, um, you know, it's it's the no hope ball game, and we're talking about Virginia, yeah, at Virginia, and that's I think for North Carolina fans, that is what's so problematic, uh, because you know a lot of people talked about how bad certain coaches in the past. Well, you know, if it were Oklahoma or Texas or some of those teams, it's another thing. But we're talking about Virginia. Before I shift gears, let me talk about Jersey Mike's subs of Chapel Hill. Hill's 15. That's all you need to know to get 15% off that order from Jersey Mike's subs. Use the code for online orders only at any of the Chapel Hill, Hillsborough, and now Chatham County stores. Located the Chatham County ones at the Chatham Crossing and the Lowe's Shopping Center. Lowe's Food Shopping Center. It's about a 12-minute drive from the heart of Chapel Hill down 15501. So anybody coming from Chapel Hill, from Laurenburg, Pinehurst, Southern Pines, Sanford, or Pittsburgh, hit it up. Support the IC Podcast. Thank Charlie, Clint, and Griffin at Jersey Mike's for their continued support of Inside Carolina in this podcast. Use the code HEALS15. Get 15% off your order. Jersey Mike's subs. Excuse me. JerseyMikes.com front slash order. It'll show the locations nearest you. Click on your order, pick your favorite sub at checkout, enter Hills 15, get 15%. Skip the line, straight to the register, grab your food, you're on your way. Do it today. Remember to code Hills 15. And now look for Jersey Mike subs inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC Podcast, get 15% off your Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win. Jason, the difference maker clearly was Perkins and... 
Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Carolina has some deficiencies, but when you play a quarterback like that, and quite frankly, they Carolina's got uh, Georgia Tech and Duke on the horizon, and both have quarterbacks that are going to be able to move. It really highlights the struggles at linebacker that North Carolina's had, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, um, and it didn't help when uh, when seven went out, but they were having trouble all game, even, even when he was in. So, uh, you know, they took advantage of, of the, the, the problems uh, of the problem areas on the, on the uh, Carolina defense. And that to me, this is something that, uh, you know, off air after our last podcast, uh, Greg and I were, were talking about um, what a quality coach Mendenhall is, you know, uh, and and you you remember uh, being uh, part of that conversation as well, in terms of Mendenhall. I, I think is a is a really a fantastic coach. Uh, you know, not necessarily uh, the, the 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 recruiter type that you would that you would uh, think of at least on the East Coast. Uh, and that was the question when he was when he was hired by Virginia. But when it comes to actually getting a team ready to play and playing. And 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 uh, putting it putting something putting a game plan together where where you, your team is going to be competitive regardless of how uh, of the talent disparity and regardless of the um uh of the uh you know where where your limitations are they're going to try they're going to find ways to always be in position to always his teams are always going to play really hard they're always going to be fundamentally sound. And uh, and they're always going to be really physical. And the other thing is that Mendenhall and his staff have always done a really good job of finding little weaknesses that they can exploit where they, you know, they may not have a whole lot in, you know, out here that they can hurt you with, but they'll find the one place they can and they'll keep going to it. And, and that says a lot about a coaching staff now. And, and, you know, they had basically two players in this one, right? They had Zacchaeus and they had Perkins and those two guys killed Carolina because they found ways to, to make that to make it so that they killed Carolina. Now it, it doesn't take much to read between the lines on how that applies both ways. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, we, and, and to, to elaborate a little bit on, on Jason's point, or at least to extend it, um, you know, there's often a conversation or people get into it on the Tar Pit Premium message board at InsideCarolina.com. Um, you know, exactly how much talent uh, North Carolina has on the team and, and what, what kind of job Larry Fedora has done in recruiting. And North Carolina has out-recruited Virginia every single year that Larry Fedora has been here. If you look at the, the recruiting rankings then and if that's what you're going by to criticize larry fedora's recruiting um he's out recruited virginia every single year uh, since he's been here and yet uh virginia is four and one in the conference six and two overall beat us by 10 points and you know looks like a solid steady football team. Um, and you know, if, if, if you think about that, you know, 
Bronco, well, Bronco didn't have that kind of success his, his first couple of years there, right? I mean, uh, it took time for Mendenhall to get the players and, uh, you know, the staff and everybody to buy into, okay, this is going to be our approach. We're going to stick with it, and here's what we're going to do. And, uh, and, and if we do that, we're going to have some success. Now, you know, I, I think it might be a little too early uh, to celebrate Virginia as, you know, the uh, next great thing, you know, in the, in the coastal division. Uh, but, you know, you look at some other teams that, <clears throat> and they were picked, by the way, by the geniuses that populate the ACC media um, and, and football kickoff, they were picked dead last in the conference. Yeah, so, I thought that was crazy. If you remember our discussion preseason, and I should have stuck with my preseason prediction, I had Virginia beating Carolina in the preseason because I, I again, I, I'm a I'm a Mendenhall believer, but uh, I thought you know the way that Carolina played the last couple of games, maybe they'd they'd uh, find a way in this one. But uh, but I, you know, the guy knows how to build a program. Uh, you know, the proof has been in the pudding in that and. Again, going back to how that creativity and finding ways to to create to to take advantage of your opponent's weaknesses, it does go both ways a little bit here. Um, I, I think that I think you can apply that back to Carolina. I mean, we talked about how you know when you get behind the sticks in certain areas, you got three quarters of your playbook that you can't really run. You can't execute at this point. Here's the thing, though. You got talent. You, I think you made that point well. There is talent on the roster. You've got guys who are who can create, who can cause matchup problems, right? You've got, you know, Ratliff Williams. You've got, uh, you've got Carter. You've got uh, some Daz. some of the young younger guys. You got Daz Newsome. You've got, uh, you know, Bo Morales. Yeah. yeah, you've got you've I mean, you've got uh, Deami Brown, you've got a number of guys that are real matchup problems. And you and, and, and what you have to do. And the hard part about this is you, you it's always a balance as a coaching staff between, OK, we're going to run our system and we're not going to abandon our system because we you know, we we believe we're not just coaching for this year but we we're we're coaching for the future, we're doing what so we don't want to completely do something else and then have to go back and reteach everything and all but there's a certain point at which you say, "Listen, we can't do three quarters of what we would ordinarily do here. But we can creatively get together and figure out, okay, you know, this is what Virginia does, right? We got two guys. <laughs> We're just going to find a way to use those two guys and to put those two guys in positions to, to cause problems. You think about what Baylor did in the bowl game a few years ago. Well, three quarters of our playbook's out, so let's find the one quarter that uh, we can expand on. Let's add some other stuff and use the athletes we got. And that's something I don't see Carolina doing right now. And I, you know, I said kind of tongue in cheek and it wasn't totally tongue in cheek on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that I'm, you know, I'm this close to advocating just sticking Anthony Ratliff Williams at quarterback and running the, you know, the offense that Baylor ran against Carolina in the bowl game. Well, I'm well past that now. 
you know, to me, I, I'm, I'm dead serious. Yeah. You find, you find ways to put your athletes in position to be athletes and cause problems. So, you know what, if it comes down to, to saying, all right, well, one thing we know, we got a special playmaker at running back. We got a special playmaker who can also play some quarterback with Ratliff Williams. We got, you know, Newsom can throw the rock too. You got to start thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe, so you, you kind of reverse engineer this. This is how I think as a staff. And this, is, this was something, you know, uh, the coaching staff I was on this last week, we had to play a, a major rain game on Friday. You know, everybody knows, everybody in the triangle knows how much rain there was on Friday. We had to play in the rain. And as we were talking, I was talking with uh, other, other staffers. It's like, listen, we've got to score in the, against this team in this, in this uh, rain. We, we got to score 24 points. If we score 24 points, we probably win the game. We got to just figure out how to get to 24. Well, that's what you do. You reverse engineer and you say, okay, how many points do we need to, to score to beat this team? And then you say, okay, let's put together what we can. You know, you can't run, you, you say you can't run a whole game on, on tricks and smoke and mirrors or whatever. Well, actually, depending on the, you know, the opponent, there's certain stuff you can do where, you know, smoke and mirrors might get you 10 might get you 14 in a given week and then you can get you know 14 or 21 out of other things that that might be enough so to me you know maybe maybe it's time to say anthony ratliff williams you know this i know i know uh you know you're you're trying to make the nfl as a wide receiver but this ain't going to hurt your stock let's go ahead and go to the back let's go to the backfield let's work on zone read and and read option stuff and let's run diamond with Anthony Ratliff Williams back there. And then we can put a couple, we can put a wide one, you know, one guy wide, uh, you know, you can do, do some different things to cause some problems in terms of, well, you're going to have to put nine in the box. Cause that guy's get, that guy gets on the edge and, and look out. You can't tell me he can't do some of the th same things that Perkins did. Perkins is no thrower. You know, you, you know, okay, well, you know, they're, they, okay, fine. Well, you know, that means we're going to have to run 85% of the time with him at quarterback. Okay. <laughs> you're already screwed if you're behind the sticks. Right. So now you got a guy who, you know, how, how different is that from putting Surratt back there where, you know, you looked at what, what happened when Surratt ran the football and what, what a threat, you know, when you, when you put, uh, you know, all three backs back there with Surratt, how much a deep, how much strain that can put on a defense because of what you can do. All right, well, put put Ratliff Williams back there and run the same stuff. Do it for a, for you know two three series. Maybe maybe that causes enough problems. May, find a way to to do what Baylor did: spread all the way to the sideline and run zone read with the quarterback, and and basically just tell tell Ratliff Williams, listen, if they're in the box, the, and, and they load up because they're they're terrified of you, then just chuck it out there to the you know on the now. And see if you know Corrales or, or Daz can do something out there. And otherwise, you find a way to make a play. You you you've got to find a way to get your best eleven out there. Reverse engineer it back. And the way I figure in in college football, in general, if you score thirty or thirty one, you should win the game. But you've got to you know if you want to have a a, a a reliable chance to win, you have to score thirty in college. Yep. And so you reverse engineer, what can we do to get to 30 this week? And there's got to be creative ways to find ways to put the, put the football in the hands of your, of your 
uh, of your best playmakers, of your athletes, without it involving, all right, well, let's just throw up a prayer. And, you know, they know that based on down and distance, we're probably going to throw the prayer up to this guy. So now we're going to throw an off-balance prayer up there, and he's going to have to make an unworldly play to, to get 15 or 20 yards and then fall down. Like, sorry, that's just not going to work. You're going to have to find ways to get it into, into his hands and into, some of the, into the hands of some of these other guys with chances to make plays. And you've got to reverse engineer and scheme back to say, okay, here's where the weaknesses are. Let's attack them this way. Here's where our strengths are. Let's maximize them this way. Even if it's not within the framework of what we normally do as an offense, this is not normal time. You've got to, you've got to find ways. If you can't do what you, what you want to do, you've got to find ways to do what you can do. And, and I, you know, that I think is a little bit of where things need to go and, and where they haven't so far. Hold your horses, Buck. I got a good question for you. But right now I'm going to talk about HeelsTravel.com, easiest way to book travel to big UNC basketball away games. Hills Travel is offering a package to Chicago to see Carolina and Kentucky on December 22nd one of the biggest games of the entire college basketball season, heelstravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. The package includes that nonstop airfare from RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from the airport to the hotel, two-night stay at the Chicago Omni, right where the basketball team will be. Great chance to see your Tar Heels on a huge stage against a great opponent. Check out a great city right now around Christmas time. HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. Now, about what Jason said. Buck, what's the chances of that happening? Uh, Well, you know, uh, as Jason was talking, I was thinking, um, and and this is all anecdotal observation, so I could be way off, but um, it seems to me that North Carolina really hasn't gone to even the trick play playbook very often this year. Um, you know, I, I can think back to previous seasons where, or even last year, um, we saw uh, Ratliff Williams you know, back in a situation where, you know, he would throw the ball. You know, they would uh, run a, run him on, on a sweep and have him stop get the pitch and throw it downfield. And, uh, you know, that's a, a fairly typical standard kind of move by uh, Fedora. But I haven't really seen it that often this year. Um, maybe that's just me being off. But I, I just have – I've seen them do a few tweaks here and there. Um, and – uh, but I really haven't seen the uh, the the same sort of uh, willingness to sort of go outside the box and and use some trickeration. And so I, I really don't know that we're going to see um, any massive changes on offense. Yes, I think there's a lot of things that would you know, argue to go in that direction. Uh, One is, uh, you know, maybe as you were talking about, maybe Jace Reuter gives you something that, uh, you know, plays into that. He's sure sure as heck a great athlete. Right. And, and one thing about 
you know, Elliot, we talk about his limitations as a, as a thrower. Well, he's got limitations as a runner too. Um, he's not going to scare any defense, uh, thinking, well, you know, I mean, like, and you could see it really on the first couple of uh, possessions by Virginia. I think North Carolina kind of started out on defense, trying to be aggressive and, and getting to, to Perkins and he burned them. You know, he, he would just run the ball. He would take it, get out around the rush, uh, move outside the pocket and, and then, you know, take it downfield 10 or 15 yards on a run. As the game went on, uh, maybe by the third or fourth Virginia possession, I think they, the defense went a different route. They, instead of trying to, you know, get a sack or, um, you know, pressure him from the interior, they tried to contain him on the outside and try to collapse the pocket. Well, that, that gave Perkins a lot more time to throw the ball, which he did successfully in this game. So uh, the, the fact that Elliott doesn't scare anybody on the outside running the ball, uh, teams can, you know, they, they don't worry about, well, if we flush him out of the pocket, he can burn us on the edge. You know, maybe Reuter plays into that. And the other piece of that is uh, that um, – there's four games left, right? Is that yeah. yeah? And so they play Reuter every game. He st- he can still redshirt. You know, I mean, they're not going to a bowl, so don't have to worry about losing him for that. Um, so I mean, there's there's no reason not to play Reuter. Um, and like everything else, you don't really know. It could go in either direction. You could put Reuter out there. And catch lightning in a bottle. I, I am convinced, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that in 2001, when Gary Tranquil and John Bunning threw Darian Duran out on the field, they did it to prevent Ron Curry from getting killed. And and Durant went out there and outplayed Curry and, and turned it into a, a quarterback controversy the rest of the year. And I think I don't think they had any clue at the time they put. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> they yeah, had. I, I think it's total no accident. Clue. You know, they had no clue that that was going to happen. So you don't really know. I mean, could Ruder go out there and play as you would expect a true freshman to play? Sure. Could he go out there and play worse than you think he has the ability to play? Sure. Could he go out there and radically? Uh, exceed expectations there's that possibility too and i do think that with four games remaining on the schedule um and you have no fear of losing his red shirt at this point and you need to do something to build enthusiasm for next year and you've got duke and nc state left on the schedule and both of them showed both of them showed they're not bulletproof yesterday um you know Pittsburgh taking down Duke and, and Syracuse putting 24 on NC state in the first quarter and winning 51, 41. So, I mean, are those games probably unwinnable by North Carolina? Sure. But I don't, I you, don't think either one is unwinnable. Well, but at this I stage. Mean, but is, is it possible? It, it, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're unwinnable. If 
the course. North Carolina doesn't make some sort of change. Right. Without without changes, I don't again, I don't think they're unwinnable, but they're not gonna win. <laughs> right? Right. So there there is a little bit of a difference there because I would say they're unwinnable if I didn't think Carolina had the talent on the roster uh, and the ability to compete with those teams. But I think Carolina's more talented top to bottom than Duke, uh, I, you know, especially at the playmaker spots. And I think they're roughly equivalent talent to, to NC State. Now, now it's a quarterback the, situation. Right. Well, again, the, the, the talent, the problem with Carolina is where is the, the balance of the talent? That the, They've got a lot of talent in, in different spots, but you can't always, if you've got great wide receiver talent and nobody to get, the, get it to them at quarterback, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the whole point of, of that, you know, monologue there was, you know, at, at this point, what, what do they have to there's, lose? Yeah. There's no reason at this point not to, Give Jace Reuter a spin, like you said. I mean, that I, I would start Reuter in this next game, uh, and I and and I would I would run whatever playbook, whatever part of the playbook he can run. I'd run that, and uh, you know, and and I saw Reuter throw in practice, and you know, again, he this was back in the spring. He he had a ways to go, but you know, he he has he has at least the potential to to make some of the throws that you want him to make. You know, still needs to get a little bit more developed there. But, uh, you know, Heck's been working with him. And, you know, if you look at the difference between uh, what Fortin looked like in the spring and what he looked like in the, in the fall throwing, you got to give Heck a lot of credit. Uh, they, they, you know, there was a lot of development that happened between there. If Reuters had even 65% or even 50% of the, of the improvement as a thrower that, uh, that Fortin did, and then you add his athleticism to the mix, now you at least have something to work with. You can yeah. actually, you know, threaten the defense, at least with his legs, at least with the fact that he runs like a college safety. So, you know, at least you can do something to threaten someone. So, and, and like you said, with four games left and no bowl on the table, go ahead and do it. There's no reason not to. So I would start him and I would have Anthony Ratliff Williams ready with a couple packages as well to, to run the diamond stuff and do some of the stuff that, that maybe you're not, uh, maybe, maybe Reuter isn't quite as, as ready to run whatever parts there, you, you, you know, he's not ready to run supplement with a few of those little gadget things and all that to get your playmakers, the rock. And that's what you, I mean, whatever is necessary. I start with, I'm reverse engineering. I got to get this guy this many touches in the open field. How do I do that? And that and and that's one of the things you put on your play sheet. You say, okay, you know, I'm force feeding these two guys the ball this many times. What are these? You know, this guy hasn't touched it enough times so far. What are the five or six ways that that we schemed in to make sure that we can get this guy's hands on the ball somewhere if he's if, if it starts to bog down and he hasn't touched it. And so you call that play. You call one of the one of the one of the things on your list there. You got to do that stuff in order to have a chance to win any of these games. And there's no reason they couldn't win any of the games left on the schedule. But you you ain't doing it if you can't threaten anybody. Yeah, I mean, it I watched I, I freely admit I did not watch Duke and Pittsburgh cuz yeah, but I did watch Syracuse <laughs> and NC State and to see those guys slinging it down the field um it's just a completely different ball game. And 
like a different sport. Yeah, I mean, it's a, like watching the difference in high school and professional. And but when I see that, I think, and I listen to this conversation, and then I think, what what are the chances that um, Fedora will adjust and, and make those adjustments? I tweeted it three weeks ago, four weeks ago that I thought he was coaching like a man with a $14 million buyout. What at this point with four games left in the season, um, but your thoughts on if it'll happen and you as a, a person that's followed North Carolina football, your thoughts, if it doesn't happen, the, the, the happen being the, the switch up, the change up just to try to get something going to build some confidence, build some wins going into next season. Well, it, Maybe a coach can insulate himself in terms of uh, not being afraid for his job because he's got this, like Fedora has, this huge buyout. And, and so he takes the position that, well, I, I'm going to you know, stick with what we've done so far this year, even though it's not worked, because I want to maintain continuity with what we're teaching, we teach our offensive line a certain way. We teach our receivers a certain how to play a certain way in our backs. And I'm not changing all of that for the sake of four games down the stretch, which, you know, in a season that, you know, is going nowhere anyway. And, you know, say, so what? So we win a couple of games down the stretch. It's still, you know, a three and nine or best case you win out, you know, you're five and seven. So, you know, what do I really have to gain? I'm not going to get fired. Uh, I'm just going to stick with teaching my guys the way I want to teach them. And then when we get the piece of the puzzle that we're really lacking here, which is quarterback, then we'll be fine. And, and I'll just do it that way. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, get uh, things back on track in, in 2019. On the other hand, you know, I think even though um, some coaches are better at grasping this than others, and, and you know, I would put Fedora probably on the back end of, of that equation, um, you, you, you need to get fans to show up to games too. You need them to buy tickets. And if the se- they close out this season with a win over Western Carolina – and and lose the other you know three ACC games and get you know go one and seven again in the ACC two years back to back, um, you know the fan support is just not going to be there. Now, is there a certain number of fans that are going to show up regardless? Um, yeah, but I, I wouldn't pay. I don't know how how that number is anymore. I think at one time I might have said, well, there's about. 40 to 45,000 fans that are going to show up pretty much, uh, you know, because it's a social thing and, you know, they have season tickets and they go to see their friends and hang out and tailgate and go to Chapel Hill six or seven times a year. But I, I don't know how high that number is. And I do think that if you just offered the naked choice to Larry Fedora, Hey, here's your two choices. You can close out this year with a, you know, a win over, you know, one or both of your closest rivals, Duke or NC State, and you can do it by, you know, 
using somebody like a rooter that might instill some uh, hope or excitement into the, you know, into the program and help you sell a ticket or two more. Um, which of those two things would you like to do that or just beat Western Carolina and call it a day? Uh, I don't know. And, and I don't know what he'll do. And, um, as, as innovative as he is offensively, I, I, he's also known to be stubborn. So we'll see, but, um, I, I don't think, uh, I could get anywhere close to pegging the actual probabilities of that happening. Uh, now he did let's, you know, give credit where credit's due. He did pull Elliot and put Fortin in when he thought Fortin was ready. So he, he's shown the willingness to, uh, make a change, you know, at quarterback, um, you know, already this season. So that stubbornness factor may not be as, as great as I represented it just now. And, and if Reuter is close to being ready and you know, you're not going to have to redshirt him, maybe it's not that hard of a call, uh, to, to go a different route. And, and defenses already know the book on Elliott. They know how to play him. They know what limitations North Carolina has. If, if Jace Reuter goes out and starts against Georgia Tech, that defense is going to have no clue how to defend North Carolina at all for that ball game. Um, and so you, who knows what happens in that situation? Um, so that's a long way of saying, I don't know what he'll do. <laughs> I think what is done will show a lot about um, where someone's head is at, in my opinion. Um, I'll leave it like that. I mean, there's opportunities to make some positives or there's opportunities to make some money. Let me get the last break of the show and I'll come back with one last question for Jason. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Jason, last question for the podcast. And for me watching North Carolina, um, especially the last couple of years, and this year's worst, the ACC overall is brutal, except for one team. And I think that's a lot of the fan base problems, and it could be said for fan bases all over the conferences. There's opportunities to make a lot of noise, to climb the ladder in the ACC, and at least uh, have an opportunity to get whipped by Clemson and Charlotte. But nobody seems to want to step up and do it. Your thoughts overall on the league and – how far it slid, maybe even um, even with Clemson as good as it is, and maybe why it slid. Well, it it's it's been it, it definitely has slid. I mean, it's not the talent necessarily in the league that slid. Uh, you know, there's still some talented rosters, but really, what happened is, for one, the league for the last few years had elite quarterbacks across the, across the board. I'm talking about, you know, guys that, that are on NFL rosters, guys that 
even if they weren't on aren't on NFL rosters now, were were top level uh, college quarterbacks. And if you look across the board, uh, a lot of the a lot of the places where those quarterbacks were, they don't have guys anywhere comparable to that at that position now. So, in North Carolina is an example of that. Florida State's an example of that. Pittsburgh, uh, you know, you, you can you can go down the list, and the you know these teams don't have that player. I mean, Virginia Tech, same same kind of thing. Um, so that that's a factor. The other thing is that that the conference, you know, things tend to be kind of pendulum, uh, work on a pendulum as well, such that you know the conference bounce forward a little bit in terms of just having everything hit right with experienced talent. And then that talent graduated, not just at the quarterback position, but at, you know, at some other places. And, uh, and now the, I think some of these teams are younger uh, and have, you know, they've got a little ways to go to develop into, into, uh, uh, into, into better, better teams down the line. Uh, the other thing is that I think there's that, that the league is in a little bit of transition now in terms of there having been some some coaching staff changes at some of the some of the major programs, and a couple of them had bumps immediately after that those coaches uh, got there. You know, the excitement and culture change leads to an, an initial bump in the level of play, and now things are headed back to more more the norm in terms of where that program has been. Uh, so it's a, a it's a combination of a number of things, and yeah, this this should be absolutely frustrating for Carolina fans, especially because this conference, aside from Clemson, is absolutely there for the taking for a team that was ready and loaded with, uh, with with you know with talent and uh, prepared to to take advantage of the downswing, and it just so happens that not only is Carolina participating in the downswing rather than working against it, but might be the biggest example of that downswing with both the quarterback position and, uh, and, and just the overall level of play on, on Saturdays uh, overall, and just the, just the quality of the football product. Uh, and, and, you know, I understand the, the frustration there. I mean, we, we talked on the, uh, uh, on the, on the podcast with, uh, with Greg, both of us and Greg agreed that, you know, fans saying, well, eight, eight wins should be the floor. It's a little bit, it's a little bit ridiculous given the, given that, you know, lots of programs who are blue bloods will, will, uh, you know, Notre Dame went four and eight, not that long, you know, a couple of years ago. So setting eight as a floor is unrealistic, but averaging eight. Yeah. We both agreed. North Carolina should be able to do that. And, they they should be able to to be on in the top half of the conference more often than not, uh, really the top third, and the the qual the the level of of play that we've seen even not even without and notwithstanding the quarterback position has not been what you know anybody should be excited about. So that that is a problem. Um, so I understand that frustration, and I. Uh, I do think that again, the, the ACC. The, the, I think the ACC is going to bounce back pretty quickly. Uh, although I think you know some of the problems in Tallahassee may not be so quickly solved. Uh, and you know when you when one of your blue blood programs doesn't play like a blue blood, that certainly affects the the conference's overall standing nationally. But there's uh, there's no reason that uh, not to expect that the conference should 
should be able to bounce back here in the near future as as some of these rosters mature and some of the some of the coaches are are uh, uh, stabilized. Some of the coaching situations are stabilized across the conference. Good stuff there. Good stuff, Buck. Appreciate y'all joining me. Uh, be an interesting discussion the rest of the week. Carolina plays Georgia Tech in Keenan Stadium next weekend. Could be interesting. Could be the same old, same old. That'll be the $64,000 question leading into that ball game. Buck, Jason, thanks. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.